listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. A podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing. Educating. Empowering. Improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's episode, we've all been in the hot seat for job interviews, wearing our best outfit, resume, and references in hand, ready to take on whatever questions the potential employer has to throw at us. There are a lot of resources online on how to prepare as the interviewee for a job or promotion interview. But what about how to prepare as the interviewer? Perhaps you're new to a managerial position or you were asked to assist with interviewing potential downline agents or other staff. Well, we've got some answers for you. I sat down with Dylan Cook, our recruiting specialist here at Ritter. Dylan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Dylan Cook. I am the recruiting specialist here at Ritter, and I've been in the recruiting field for coming up on probably five years. I've worked in temp staffing prior to working here, and uh, when this position opened up here after I was working in the contracting department, decided to get back into it and love what I do. Today, I want to explore what to look out for in an interview, what types of questions to ask, and general good practices. So, starting with my first question, how can you prepare for conducting an interview? Look at the resume first, okay. always. Um, I, I I never want to get too held up into like looking too much at the resume. I would much rather listen to what people have to say during the interview than, I mean, you know, looking at the resume is still very important, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get too caught up in like, oh, they did this, they'd be perfect for this role, or like, oh, I don't see this experience, I don't even know why I'm interviewing. I I don't want either of those biases, whichever way it's going to be, I'd much rather focus on like how the interview goes. But then also, speaking of biases, you don't want to be too clouded by like, you know, oh, he was so nice. She was so friendly. So it's tough to kind of balance some of those things. But to prepare, going back to the original question, of course, uh, to prepare, look at the resume for a little bit, kind of familiarize yourself with it, not memorize. Don't worry about that. But, you know, show the candidate that you took the time to look at the resume. Like, because then that gives them like, oh, this, you know, they really care about me. It's not just going through the motions like, oh, another interview. Let's, you know, obviously there's no cameras on me. Otherwise they could see how my eyes are like glazed over. Oh, another interview like that. Like you want to show that you're interested in the candidate you're interviewing because if it comes down to it and you extend an offer to that candidate, that impression could absolutely make a difference if they're weighing other offers. Like, oh, they, Ritter was really interested in me. They, they really took that time to research research about me listen to what i had to say and look at my experience so like everything you do from the beginning the candidate pays attention to i can definitely relate to that i've been in job interviews where the interviewer talked the whole time about themselves and didn't try to get to know me 
And even if it's even if you're not working directly, like if it's like an HR person you're interviewing with and not like your direct manager, if someone behaves like that, you're probably still thinking like, is this how everyone at the organization is? Like, does anyone really care about what I have to say? They're just trying to fill a seat. If there are multiple people conducting the interview, how do you brief with each other beforehand? Do you agree on any goals for the interview? Not a whole lot of goals because in an interview, uh, I mean, me personally, someone else might have like a more goal-oriented approach where it's like, okay, we're going to get this information. But that's more just like have a conversation and see what happens. Um, for me, preparing before interviews, so I – Second interviews, I don't really conduct them. I'm more just like the moderator. I do the introductions, introductions, excuse me, and just let the candidate kind of explain themselves and then the managers go forward with their questions. But before that, I'll say to the managers, you know, like, hey, here's how the first interview went. Here's, mm, here's something they said in the first interview that I really liked. Let's see if they say it again. Uh, let's see if they say the opposite because sometimes people do lie in interviews and you have to pick out when they contradict but you know not something you want to look for like spend all your time looking for but if you do catch something like that you want to be able to notice it so I just kind of give like a scouting report before uh, going into a group interview uh, but nothing really nothing really like like okay this is the goal of the interview I mean because I mean, the goal is to find is to see if the person is qualified for the job and would be a fit for the team but there's no goal like, okay, we got to get this information out of them. You kind of touched on this earlier, but let's dive into it more. When you're interviewing someone, what are some key questions to ask to help you get a sense of their character? I remember in my first interview with you here at Ritter, you asked me what I would do if a penguin walked into the room wearing a sombrero. That I stole from... Lisa, our director of marketing, for those who aren't aware, uh, she loves to ask those questions in second interviews. So I'm like, I kind of had a good feel like when, yeah, when I interviewed you, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to get a jump on this question because <laughs> I definitely want to push her through to a second, but I want to see. So there's different like, yeah, creative answers that it, it's less, it's less about, it's less about the answer and more about like the thought process behind the answer. So, for instance, in this field, or at least, you know, like the marketing field specifically, but, you know, we have some other roles here that are more like administrative. They probably wouldn't work the same way. But the purpose of that question is to get you to think outside the box, get you to think, get you to think crazy, not just like really narrow along this path and like, hmm, like almost think illogically rather than logically for that question. But I mean, that really depends on the position you're trying to fill like if you're you're trying to fill like a front desk receptionist you know maybe where a client comes in and has a problem you want a person who can probably think a little more analytically like more problem solving rather than creative and outside of the box so there's example based questions are huge but then you know there's the rhetorical you know, if a penguin walked in here wearing a sombrero, what what is he, you know, what's he looking for? Yeah, there's those like that, of course, but it really depends on the on the position that you're uh, you're looking to fill. Okay. 
Have you heard of or used the STAR method for answering questions? STAR stands for Situation, Task, Action, and Result. Uh, so speaking about the example-based questions, that's pretty much it ties in right here. I look for that all all the time. Uh, in like I, I don't, it's not one of those things where I'll disqualify someone if they don't answer like that. But if someone answers a question, and of course, yeah, I'll get into it. Um, in that, in the star format, like without you having to pull teeth, that's a sign of a pretty good candidate that they're going to give you all the information you need. So situation, task, action, result, star. Um, situation, obviously setting the scene. Like, hey, how to, oh, tell me about a time. So the example-based questions, tell me about a time when this happened or when you had to do this. So here's the situation. I was, I was the only one in the office that day task uh we had to we had to get these reports out by the end of the day that was the task it's you know what needed to be accomplished action what you did to actually accomplish that task so something like oh i um you know i i, I work better i work best with when i'm listening to music so i put my headphones in and just just went to town on finishing these reports and then result, of course, you know, I was, and I was able to get it done a half hour before we closed. So it, it really helps to give you the full picture uh, of not just like how they work, like in that example, but also how they can think of the full picture, how candidates can think of the, of the full picture, like in the hiring process. So not only in the past, but also in the future. Gives you an indicator into the future. Okay. This also has to do with the structure of an interview. Have you used an interview scoring sheet before? I never have. You haven't? I've never used an interview scoring sheet. I just, um, my preferred evaluation, uh, I'm kind of thinking, I'm kind of skipping ahead to second interviews. First interviews, a lot of what I do is just kind of getting a feel for, are they a fit for this organization in general? Not so much this specific role. Like that's more on the hiring managers to figure out um, because I'm just trying to see like, okay, could I see this person? Like I'll let them pick into it a little more, but I don't want to be so detailed and meticulous to where I might like overlook something and think like, oh no, they won't be a good fit for that team where a candidate might go to a team and or might go for a second interview and they're like, oh my God, they'd be the, they're the perfect candidate. Why'd you rule them out? Why were you thinking they weren't good? So I try not to get too much into, too much into data in interviews like, yeah, like scoring sheets or anything like that because the, uh, have you heard of the halo and horn effect? It sounds familiar, but I don't remember it. Uh, that's okay. It's not, it's going to be on the test. So <laughs> make, make sure you, Make sure you study up on this. So it's it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about like biases. How I I don't want biases anywhere. Uh, so halo and horn effect uh, they're opposites. They're the same thing. Like they're the same behavior, but it's for opposite reasons. Halo effect is say someone says something 
doesn't necessarily need to be early on in an, in an interview. Could be late. But like this one thing they say, whether it's a story they tell or just a quick little fact about themselves, where you think, wow, that experience is amazing. We need this person on our team. Even though there's a bunch of other little like mini red flags, like all throughout the interview, you just ignore them because they have this halo on because they said this wonderful thing and you think they're going to be great. So likewise, the horn effect is if they say all these, you know, little great things, but then the one outlier is a very bad or perceived bad thing that they said, then it's like, oh, I don't, I don't think that person's going to be a good fit, which I've seen happen plenty of times here. Well, I mean, you know, it's, you, I don't know if the person would have been a good fit. So I can't say like, oh yeah, people missed out on great candidates. So not going to say that, but I've seen it plenty of times where there's like, where managers have told me things like, oh yeah, they said that one thing. And I'm like, yeah, but what about all these other good things they said? Like you no one's, can't say never. It's so, so rare to find that person who is perfect for the job everyone is going to have flaws. So I don't want to use like a, a scoring sheet or anything. And if, if someone does want to do it that way, Hey, go ahead, you know, find what works for you. But I don't want to do that because I just want to evaluate everything together rather than like kind of look at like checked boxes and things and have like a, you know, if they didn't say one thing and I don't have that marked there, I don't want to be like, Ooh, they didn't say that. That makes sense. But again, it's all preference. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not the way I prefer to. Mm -hmm. I prefer to interview. What are some questions that you can't or shouldn't ask in an interview? Maybe they're illegal or they're just questions that won't get a good answer. How long is this episode supposed to be? As long as we want. Oh, yeah. Because I could probably make it like three hours. Uh, Essentially, the the basic rule of thumb is to never, just to be safe, do not ask anything that isn't about the job. Just keep it about the job. Keep it about, well, keep it about a job. So whether it's like the job they're applying for or any of their past experiences, but about like the duties themselves like don't ask about any kind of like outside of their normal job duties because that's just it's just the safest way to go about it like for example um this is this would you know this would not uh you know get anyone in immediate like danger danger red alert but it could depending on how far conversation goes like if uh, a candidate's talking about volunteer work and, oh, I, I volunteer, I volunteer at, uh, at my church. And you say, okay, you know, great. That's, that's, that's awesome to hear. Uh, you could maybe say like what kind of, uh, and it, just conversationally too, you could say like what kind of uh, organizations does your church support? You can say things like that. But you say something like, uh say something like, oh, what church do you go to? Just being conversational. Then you're getting into religion and then that could potentially be hot water. So like, even though the first part, like, oh, what kind of organizations does your church contribute to? Just even though that's fine, it's safest to just stay away from things like that. 
And of course, you know, age, sex, religion, national origin. Uh, no, keep it about the job. I'm, uh, I'm like shuddering thinking about questions like that. I was even in an interview at uh, my last job where a, uh, or no, I was, it was like a cubicle setup at my, uh, at my last job. And I kind of heard over the, um, over the cubicle, uh, this candidate was talking about how, like toward the end of the interview, she she had a good interview from everything I could understand. Um, but toward the end, they're just kind of talking and she's saying like, oh yeah, my, um, I guess she was a big foodie. So she's saying like, oh, my, my parents, my mom makes this, you know, this really great, uh, uh, dish from, I don't know, like a recipe passed down from my parents or whatever she said. And it was, you know, she was a, she was of non white descent and the interviewer said just in conversation, not, you know, just very, it was, I could tell by the tone, it was very innocent. It's like, Oh, what's your ethnicity? And I, I felt my blood pressure, <laughs> I felt my blood pressure rise. And I'm like, Oh no, like you cannot. So it's just safe to just keep it about the job. When you walked in, you told me you were nervous. And I know you, so I said, no, you're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Are there ways an interviewer can ease the tension or nervousness in the room during an interview? Say if either or all parties are nervous. Interviewee? Yes. I, I wish I could cite this source. I'm sorry I can't. But I read, read or heard something like maybe a year ago or so that said offering a candidate a drink, like, you know, water, coffee, anything like that, like prior to the interview, during the interview, to not even just to have here, like, as a beverage, but like to give them something to hold on to where like they know it's theirs. It actually calms a lot of nerves. Um, so that is, it, that's something that ever since I heard that, I was like, that's, that makes a whole lot of sense, but it's one of those things that I never would have thought of. Um, so I would, yeah, definitely like, you know, when you walk in, if you have a cooler with bottled water, if you have, you know, a coffee machine, like, we have both. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Um, like just saying, Hey, would you like, you know, would you like a bottle of water? I've seen so many candidates who have been a little nervous, but like as they're nervous, they're just sitting there like holding, not squee, no, not white knuckling the water bottle, but they're sitting there like clearly leaning on it, you know, air quotes leaning, uh, because they're in an uncomfortable environment. It's a stressful situation, even though I, hope I don't give off an intimidating vibe. Um, interviews are in, are intimidating regardless of how um, not intimidating uh, HR or hiring managers can be. So giving a candidate like something to kind of hold on to, like, again, water, coffee, something like that, uh, is I think would go a long way in helping to ease their stress. And plus what I've found is most candidates too will ease up like as the interview goes on, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, you start asking questions and they can kind of pick up 
on the style of your questions as long as you're not, you know, drilling them, you know, what, what's this, what's this, what's this, what's this. But if you just kind of keep like a conversational tone, people will open up and, you know, be, be natural with you. But as for, as for the interviewer, if you're nervous, I, I don't know if I have any, any tips on how to, I I don't think there are any instant, like, you know, Hey, do this and you won't be nervous at all. I think it's one of those things that you just have to, you just treat it like a conversation, which is what a lot of our managers here say in interviews, like, especially in group settings, like some, some of the sales teams, like they have three, four people on the management team in there in interviews and what people, what I've heard people say before are things like, Hey, we're just having a, you know, just having a conversation. We're not going to go through a list of questions and, you know, like you might say something, we might have a question about that, but we're not like checking off questions. It's just a conversation. So as long as you just keep that tone, I think as the interviewer, you would get a lot more just relaxed naturally. But so just, yeah, treat it like a conversation. Don't, don't treat like a checklist, like you're going down through. Okay. Uh, uh, because if you're too busy on your checklist too, you might overlook something that the candidate says that you can kind of dig into, ask probing questions, infer skills or knowledge, like based on that answer. So just again, I I said it like the fifth time in this answer, but treat it like a conversation. Like you're just meeting someone new. With podcasts, it's a little different because I'm not interviewing someone for a job. I'm there to hear them speak about themselves or a certain topic. And I usually say, treat this like a conversation. And I feel like with podcasts, I can say, if you mess up, I can re-record it. But you can't do that in a live job interview. But I've noticed with podcast interviews, that if I mess up a line or have to repeat something, that makes the guest more comfortable because it shows that even as a podcast host, I still get tongue-tied and it's okay to make mistakes like that. I have been in situations in interviews before where people are so well-spoken where if I kind of like have one of those moments, I get nervous and I'm like, oh gosh, oh man, this. And I know that the person's not judging me. I just feel like, ooh, I, w- I want to make it look like I'm on the same articulate playing field as this person. So it's a, li- a few nerves, I think, are totally natural. So you're not going to totally escape them, I don't think. Yeah. You can get close, but I think there's always going to be some. Can you tell me any positive attributes that you look for in a candidate? You mentioned it depends on the job and the company, but what are some general positive things to look out for? Something kind of, I know I said at the beginning, like I don't want to focus too much on the resume, but this is an example where going back to the resume, you can just pick apart real easily. But if you say, if a candidate says in an interview, or they might even say it on the resume. They have a great attention to detail, but there's a typo in like the second line. And you're like, okay, well, that's not true. Uh, but then again, some people aren't always the most... Uh, sometimes you, you don't always need a candidate who has a great attention to details. Maybe some people who are more creative aren't so good with details. So it's it's when there are contradictions that I'm 
concerned. Like I won't automatically disqualify someone for like a typo or some like janky formatting on a resume, but the contradictions are something I always look out for. Um, sorry, you asked about like things to look for and I went right negative, but positives. Um, I kind of alluded to it there. Attention to details, huge, um, examples of organizational skills are huge. Not just saying like, Oh, I'm very organized. How are you organized? Like what's your, how do you stay organized is a good like probing question for that. Um, and then there's other little, like it might not be a direct answer, but (laughs) I told you right before I would use you as an example. Our first interview, uh, it was from home. You, I remember the desk, I think your desk was like kind of came back here and your cat was on the desk. And I'm like, I know how cats are. That cat's going to walk in front of the camera <laughs> at some point. And like, I, and I asked you a question and I forget. And it was, I remember it was a good answer. And you gave the, it was like, I think you went through the full star format. So well done. You got the job. So, you know, no surprise. It went well. But your cat walked across like in front of the camera, like right in front of the mm-hmm. camera. And you just kind of like craned your neck around and like never broke eye contact. And I'm like, that's impressive. <laughs> that's very impressive. So it's just like things, little things like that where it's like, okay, you know, she's not going to be deterred by little things, you know, not saying your cat's little thing, probably love your cat. You take great care of your cat, but like little tiny distractions are like, you know, don't you don't get flustered you don't get phased by that so like you have to be on the lookout for little things like that not just what the candidate says because hmm, i forget the exact numbers i think it's seven percent the study i'm talking about again i wish i could cite my source i should have come with the whole references page um i believe that only seven percent of your communication is said with words the rest is body language and tone uh most of that is body language so talking about like like an in-person versus virtual interview you can still pick up some body language from uh virtual but uh tone tone is crucial it's i think it's pretty easy to pick up on but again some people you know, you, some people have different strengths. Some people might be able to read body language better, which is you have to use all three, all three factors when evaluating what people are saying. You touched on this briefly. What are the pros and cons of virtual and in-person interviews? Well, I think in addition to that, the other part of, um, you know, not just being able to pick up on tone and body language a little more in person, in uh uh, in-person interviews. I think the benefit of virtual interviews, which I mean, I've been, my method for the last, let's see. Uh, I started in this role May of 2021. So it might've been like late 20 or probably like mid 2022 when I started making it a regular thing to do virtual first interviews and then in-person second interviews. So, because I I don't know about anybody else, I would never want to accept a job without seeing the workplace first. So, like, there's one reason there. I want to show the candidates, like, hey, we are a real company. We, you know, and, you know, like, hey, look, it's a nice, it's a nice building we have here. 
Um, but then also I, the reason, but going back to like the advantages of virtual and it kind of goes back to, again, like offering them coffee or water. If people are interviewing in a strange place, strange meaning unfamiliar. So if they're interviewing in an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people and they have to talk about themselves, that's like the big three of being really nervous. So if you can take one of those factors and put them in a familiar place, so even though they might be talking to a stranger, even though they might have to talk about themselves a little bit, if they're at home in a controlled environment, they're, I think they're much more comfortable. And then by the time they come in for the second interview, assuming the first one goes well, they know you, you know, there's still, uh, there's still a, you know, the unfamiliarity of the environment, but at least they know the person in the room. So that's kind of, kind of reduce the, the nervousness there. That's why I like doing virtual interviews first. Let them, let the candidates control their environment in the first one before you really throw them into the fire in the second one. Going along with the topic of environments, have you done group interviews? And if so, do they seem effective? Group interviews as in one or two interviewers and multiple candidates. I have never done them. I've never been on that side. Okay. Uh, one of my first few interviews after graduating college. No, I, I, again, I don't really know if you'd call it an interview. It was almost more like a boot camp type of thing. But it was in that kind of environment. And, you know, they're different like exercises where they'd give you quizzes just to kind of grade like the way you think. And I did not, I personally did not like that kind of environment. So I would not want people to do that. Some companies, it might be a little more um, logical to do that. For example, maybe, you know, as we're approaching AEP, could that be something we do with like some new business processing temps? Potentially, but like I would not want to do that for any kind of full-time position. I don't want to put people through the <laughs> through the ringer like that. Uh, I, I see the benefit for certain roles for like peak season temp help where volume skyrockets. But you know, if you're if you can, I would try to keep interviews just with one with one candidate. Again, kind of going back to what we said toward the very beginning making them kind of feel valued and less like just a cog in the wheel. We're getting closer to wrapping things up. We looked at how to prepare, questions to ask and avoid. Once the interview is over, what are some steps that you can take afterward? What's your process for contacting a candidate if you want to move forward with them? And on the other side, how do you break the news that they have not been chosen for the position? I always, you always want to give them, and most most people will ask anyway, but you always want to give them uh, kind of an outlook. At least try to provide a timeline. If you can't give a hard timeline, just tell them as much as you can. But about like your next steps, the process going forward, um, and a time that they can uh, that they can expect to hear back. Like at least again a deadline. If it's before that, great. But try to. And it's also good to have that kind of deadline for yourself too. Like if you get wrapped up in other things and you're like, oh, I told Tina, I told Tina I'd get back by Friday afternoon. I better get on that. Um, so things like, 
kind of go into like interview mode, not this interview, but like job interview mode, pretend like you're a candidate, which you're probably like, oh yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> but you're like, okay, yeah, we have some other interviews to to wrap up uh, and, you know, depend and be transparent too. say things like if the current round is like right at the start, say like, oh yeah, you're, you're the first candidate we've interviewed so far. We have a few more scheduled this week, then we'll evaluate. We'll get back to you by the end of next week. Or even, hey, you're the last one of this round. We should have an answer for you pretty soon. So, uh, and you can kind of judge based on that uh, or based on the interview. Like if, if you know you're going to be extending an offer to this person, if you do get one of those all-star candidates, uh, again, nobody is perfect, but sometimes, sometimes you can tell like, yeah, I'm going to be extending an offer here. Uh, you could say things like, yeah, we'll be, you know, we'll be following up with you pretty soon, but I would not recommend saying anything like, like always never give them a final answer, uh, on hiring right there, especially like if it's, especially if you're going to extend an offer, leave yourself a little wiggle room, excuse me. So like, oh yeah, you know, things went, uh, you know, you can say things like, oh yeah, thanks for coming in. You know, had a great time talking with you, but try not to tip your hand because you never know if needs of the business might change. If you happen to find someone who's even better than that candidate. So don't ever tip your hand. Don't ever enter into a, you know, quote unquote verbal contract where they can come back and be like, oh, they said they'd hire me and they never, you know, then they said that they're going in another direction. So keep the card, cards close to your chest until you end up uh, until you end up extending that offer. But try to be as, as transparent as possible about the process without showing too much again. Now let's get to ways to break the news that the candidate was not chosen. I'm sure by now you're pretty desensitized to that. <laughs> I'm I'm cruel and heartless. Uh, <laughs> it's you're gonna have to deliver deliver bad news in this industry. Um, it may not always be in the same fashion, but I mean, I'll be honest, I have an email template to send to people. So I don't have to like think like, Ooh, man, you know, how am I going to tiptoe around this sensitive information? So like I carefully crafted that I carefully like wrote, wrote out that template before, uh, or so I could kind of use that for any candidates who've been rejected, but I'll never just fill in name and just go from there. I'll always look at it and see like, okay, how can I tweak it from this? So it's clear that this is personal. Like I, I, I can probably count on one hand the times that I've had to reject a candidate and say things, you know, where I'm just like, you know, to heck with that guy, to heck with her. You know, I don't care. Send you a cookie cutter email. Typically you go through the interview process. You get to know someone a little bit more, and you, you're at least like, yeah, man, didn't work out. Not the right fit for this organization, but you know, I hope they find uh, what's hope they find what's right for them. So conveying that sincerity, I mean, hopefully you have sincerity when you wish them well, but conveying that sincerity, I, I usually say things like, "Thanks for taking the time to interview. We really do appreciate it. Sorry, but you know we've selected another candidate for the role." Um, saying things like. The team and I, you know, wish you the best of luck in your job search. And then there could be, I've had situations in the past too where candidates may have not been 
the right fit for a certain role in the company, but they may potentially be a fit in like another department if it opens up. So like I've said to candidates before, hey, if if anything comes up in this department, I'd be happy to reconsider you if you're still looking at that time. So kind of keep it open, gives them the idea, kind of gives them the confidence where it's like, okay, I interviewed well. I just might not be the right fit for this job. So don't be afraid to deliver. Don't be afraid to deliver bad news because you're gonna have to do it in this in this role. But just be sincere about it. Remember, you're talking to a person. You're not talking with, uh, you know, some people can get, especially people who are very busy. You know, if you're talking to, you know, another business customer or something, you could be a little terse with emails, a little short, just, you know, give me what I need. Talk to people. I mean, a little general life advice here, not just recruiting advice, but just talk to people like they're people, not like they're little... Not they're like not like they're mice to fit in the wheel to make the machine go around. Do you have any closing thoughts? I think just doubling down on the treating people like people. Like I know it can be tough if you know people are listening to this and they're like, oh, well, you just said keep it about the job a little while ago. Yeah, you do in the interview, but you don't have to ask personal questions, but you can still treat people treat people with respect one of my favorite musical artists harry styles my boy treat people with kindness it's not a great song but it's a great rule to live by thank you so much dylan for joining us it was a pleasure talking with you thank you if you have any questions you can reach out by sending us a message at asgpodcast at ridderim.com thank you for listening we'll see you next episode The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. This episode was written and produced by me, Tina Lamaru, with script editing by Sarah Rupel, design by Urban Rivera, artwork by Vivian Zhao. Remember to rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. Spotify.